Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. A special mini. Yes, it's a little mini. A main mini. Where yes. it's just something we needed to talk about that we didn't have a chance to talk about last time and we didn't want to have to wait until next time. We like to drop one of these minis once in a while just to give our listeners more a of little us. treat. Why don't I get into it? And yes. So we had an interesting thing happen here in Maine a month ago. Interesting mostly in the fact that it's been so underreported. Mm. Nicole Mokime, 35, was killed by a hit-and-run driver either late Saturday night, June 18th, or early Sunday morning, June 19th, at the Skudik Education and Research Center at Acadia National Park in Maine. The details at first were sparse. Police announced her death that she had been killed by a hit-and-run and said they were looking for a 2016 black BMW X3 SUV with main plates, 5614 WM registered to Raymond Lester. Mm. The vehicle may have front end damage. Mm-hmm. That news release came out either June 19th or June 20th. News outlets started reporting it on June 20th in the days after. They were a little slow to pick it up. The news release was more notable for what it didn't say that Lester was Mokime's boyfriend and he was at large. There was no information then about how the accident happened or how they knew what car hit Nicole Mokime. There still hasn't been any. Mm. On June 27th, more than a week after that news release, Maine State Police said they'd issued a warrant for Lester's arrest for murder. With the report, State Police provided a photo of Lester, who, like Mokime, is black. He's standing next to his BMW with a big smile and a Carfax plate on the front of it and a big bow on the car. So he must have just bought it from Carfax when he took the picture. They put a big bow on it for I you? I think Carfax, yeah. Yeah, they do, I guess. Oh. As of this podcast, he's still at large oh. and the car hasn't been found. Mokime, a resident of South Portland and mother of an 11-year-old daughter, stood out in Maine. Not only because she was a Black woman in what is, as we've told you many times, the whitest state in the U.S., but because of her activism In 2014, she'd founded Rise and Shine Youth Retreat, which provides self-development programming to children and adults of color, not only Black, but also Wabnaki, anyone who's marginalized. Four years ago, it expanded to include a cooperative living space and outdoors retreat spot on a farm in Bowdoin, which is halfway between Portland and Augusta. At the time, she lived in Bowdoin, and she moved to South Portland sometime after. Originally from the Philadelphia area, Westchester, Pennsylvania, she was an outdoors lover. And when she first came to Maine in 2008, she embraced the state for its beautiful outdoors. She went at some point to Southern Maine Community College in South Portland. I don't know if that's what brought her to Maine, if she went there. um, And that's one of the prettiest campuses around. Beautiful. It's right on the water. It's in an old fort, an old brick fort part of it. Her mission was to give children of color, particularly girls, experiences in the outdoors where they could feel safe, relax, and feel empowered. Her mission soon expanded to people of all ages who needed that. She was at the Skudik Institute as one of the organizers of Black Excellence Retreat 2022, which was a week-long get-together for Black, Indigenous, and Brown Mainers of all ages to hang out and celebrate Juneteenth in a beautiful area. 
The Scudic Education and Resource Center, where the event was held from June 4th to 20th, is run by the National Park Service. It's not the part of Acadia National Park that most people are familiar with, the part on Mount Desert Island, but rather on the Scudic Peninsula east of Mount Desert Island along the coast across Mount Desert Narrows and Frenchman Bay. For all our beautiful 3,000 miles of coast, it is one of the most beautiful spots on the main coast. It's spectacular. You see Mount Desert Island and Cadillac Mountain across the bay. It's very rocky, big, long slabs of rock. It's funny because if you're driving, it's a distance to drive. Right. You The entire coast of Maine is tons of peninsulas. So to get that, to that part of Acadia National Park from the other part of Acadia National Park, you have to go up and around Frenchman Bay. So it does... Mm-hmm take a while. The nearest town to the Scudic Institute is Winter Harbor, population 461 in the 2020 census. As you can imagine, the word murder and Winter Harbor or Scudic Peninsula haven't been used in a sentence together in a long time, if ever. I know people these days are all about focusing on the victim. And as I said, there's a lot of positive things to say about Nicole and what she's done. And there have been some in the press. That doesn't mean that more attention doesn't need to be given to what happened to her, who did it, what the circumstances were. After the Boston Globe and Press Herald did stories at the very end of June, the last day of June, there's been nothing about this in the press. And today, as we're recording, it's July 17th. There's been nothing from the state police, not from any publication. In the past three weeks, there have been no articles, no updates, nothing that I can find. There may be a nationwide search on for Raymond Lester, as the Maine State Police have said, but does the nation know it? (laughs) I know. It probably doesn't surprise you to learn that Nicole's friends said that Lester was violent. He was possessive and jealous and prone to destructive outbursts and recklessness. His criminal record includes four domestic violence convictions between 2008 and 2011 and one for violating a protective order, all according to the Press Herald, and that's related to abuse of the mother of his three children. Of course, the Boston Globe managed to nail it down a little better. Lester was arrested for a domestic violence assault in November 2008 and sentenced to 22 days in jail. In 2010, he was again charged with domestic violence and theft in order to spend 45 days behind bars. He was charged for a third time with domestic violence assault in July 2011, an additional to criminal mischief. He pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor and was sentenced to six months in jail. He was arrested and convicted several more times between 2012 and 2018 for a variety of offenses, including felony theft, misuse of identification, refusing to submit to arrest, and disorderly conduct, according to his main criminal history record. And yet, he didn't spend much time at all in jail. Uh, That's so infuriating. I know, but the charges are only the tip of the iceberg to the real story. Ashley Christinger, now 33, met Lester at Portland High School when they were both students. He was a couple years older than her at the time, and they started dating. She said Lester made mean comments and would lock her in a room as a joke, but she was young and didn't take it seriously. When she was 18 in 2007, she became pregnant and they moved in together. Around this time, Lester began to physically abuse her. When the baby was born a son, he was cold to the baby, refusing to comfort him when he cried or give him any affection. In less than a year, she gave birth to twin girls and things got worse. The abuse escalated, including abuse of the kids. He'd scream and yell when the babies cried. And his abuse now included slapping, hitting, 
punching, and strangling. When the babies were still very young infants one night, Lester grabbed each of them by the ankle, swung them around, Mm. and threw them on a futon. One of the baby's heads immediately began to swell, and Christinger grabbed the three kids and ran into the bedroom. Lester called his father, who I won't go into all the details, but seems to be a partner in crime with Mm -hmm. him a lot. His father came over with a cable-style bike lock, which Lester used to lock Ashley and the kids in the bedroom. She stayed there for more than a day, as Lester and his father supposedly smoked crack in the living room. And I just want to say, there will be drugs. I don't want people to think that his behavior can be excused by drug use. Mm, I think the drug use is a symptom. It's not the problem exactly Cressinger eventually climbed out a third story window and into a hallway window and got a friend who ripped the lock and the doorknob off the bedroom door to get the children out ashley took the babies to maine medical center in portland where it was determined both girls had fractured skulls they also found other bone breaks and various stages of healing state caseworkers took custody of the children the state did not pursue charges against lester Cressinger said that the caseworkers didn't believe her because Lester told them that Christinger, who had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, was mentally unstable and an unreliable narrator. That just makes me so angry. I know. We've seen time and time again where the men are given more leeway than the mothers, mm-hmm. no matter what the cliche about women getting the benefit of the doubt from courts when it comes to kid, we know. And this is a story we haven't done, but the story of Harmony Montgomery. Yes, that's and, what it made me think of. In New Hampshire is a great example where the father, even though he had a history of assault, abuse, and drug use, the little girl was taken away from the mother whose offenses were much less and much less dangerous. In any case, it's a story for another day. In 2010... Ashley got a protection of abuse order against him. In the affidavit for it, she described that night of abuse of the kids and wrote, I tried to leave him and tell what he had done, but I took it back and went back with him because he threatened to blame me and kill me if I didn't. Out of fear, I gave in. Lester was charged with violating the prosecution order in January 2011 and served five days in jail. A short time after that, according to the Press Herald story, Lester attacked Cressinger in her bedroom at a relative's house where she was staying and accused her of cheating on him with his brother. (sighs) She picked up a hammer to defend herself, but he got it away from her and hit her in the face, breaking her jaw and then strangled her until she lost consciousness. Lester was charged with felony domestic violence assault. That was kind of a breaking point for me, Cressinger told the Press Herald. It got to the point where I was more afraid of what appeasing him and pacifying him was going to cause. I somehow got away from it. Around then, he began dating Ashley Foote. And I have to believe the Press Herald that both of these women's first names are Ashley, which isn't that uncommon in Maine. But with this particular reporter, you never know. He had a story with our brother in it and got our brother's name wrong, among some other details which I predicted to our brother before the story yes, uh, that, that there would be mistakes in the story. But anyway, Ashley Foote is now 30. At the time she met Lester, she was a student at Southern Maine Community College in South Portland. She dated him for about six months and told the Press Herald it was the most terrifying relationship of her life. Ugh. She'd first met him a few years before, I think, the story's hard to make sense of, when she was 16 And though he pursued her for a relationship, she wasn't interested. Now she was 19, and he was very charming and persistent. They moved in together almost immediately. He didn't have a place to stay, and she 
had a job and an apartment besides being a college student. How convenient. At first, the relationship was good, but after about two months, she realized he was selling crack cocaine and heroin and using drugs as well. She said he was increasingly controlling, even telling her to quit her job because he made enough money selling drugs. He isolated her from her family and friends, telling her she had to stop communicating with them because they wanted to turn her against him. She even stopped going to school. He got her to drop out of college. It was almost like I was under a spell. Slowly but surely, I didn't have anyone to talk to but him, she told the Press Herald. One night, he came home after being away for several days. She said he seemed strung out, and he accused her of having sex with his brother, which seemed to be a favorite go-to accusation for him. He threw her into the wall and started screaming at her to get undressed. He then, quote-unquote, inspected her body for for signs she had been with another man. The Press Herald said he then had sex with her, although she didn't want to. So where I come from, we call that rape. Yeah, he raped her. in other words, he raped her. I was crying and telling him to stop and asking him what was wrong with him, why he was acting like that, Foote told the Press Herald. Afterwards, he cried and apologized. She said, I felt disgusting. I just wanted to take a shower and go to bed. Their relationship ended when police raided the apartment looking for drugs. A police officer noticed a bruise on Foote's face and gave her his business card. Lester accused her of cheating on him with the police officer. Oh, for God's sake. And he cornered her, screaming at her. I assume this was after the cops had left. The next morning, while he was sleeping, she packed a bag and ran. Something inside of me was saying I just needed to go as far away from that house as I could, so that's what I did, she said. Foote, who's now 30, is a case manager at a substance abuse rehab center in Sarasota, Florida, where she counsels women on the warning signs of domestic violence. I know that his behavior and his patterns and the way he manipulates is so he can gain control over whoever he's with and abuse them, she said. And honestly, I think he is a very dark person and he has a very dark side and he's evil. When Nicole Mokimi was killed a month ago, she'd been dating Lester for three years. In a Valentine's Day 2021 Facebook post, She said she met him through his sister and they were close friends for seven months before they got serious. She said Lester was more sensitive, more impatient and louder, but she was more stubborn and, quote, wore the pants in the relationship. Her friends, on the other hand, thought of him as controlling, paranoid and dangerous. Shanique Tarn told the Boston Globe, Nicole always saw the best in everyone. And that was the beauty of her, but it was also to her detriment. The Globe, by the way, said it said messages to Lester, his sister and mother, were not returned. I find it interesting that, that they have contact info for him and would like to hear more about that, which they yes. didn't say in the story. But my guess is they messaged him through Facebook or something. Probably. Anyway, Lester would tell people he was an executive at Nicole's business, Rise and Shine Youth Retreat, even though he wasn't. People who worked with Nicole and the retreat had another view. In 2020, a group of Black community organizers met with Nicole to tell her that Lester's presence was unwelcome in spaces that were designed to be safe for people with marginalized identity. Wow. Truth Malibia Nichols told The Globe about the meeting, and she said she was one of the people who was at it. Lester tried to guide Nicole's decision-making despite having no relevant experience himself, said Marion Sloan of South Portland, a close friend of Nicole's. And as with his other girlfriends, he was angry and volatile. Once Nicole had to lock him out of the house in Bowdoin, where she was building the cooperative living space, and he busted in the patio door to get in. Nicole once called Sloan sobbing because Lester falsely accused her of cheating on him. With his brother? With Sloan. 
He was always accusing someone. It doesn't matter if you're a girl or a guy. That was his biggest thing, Sloan said. Quote, he would get very angry and think she was cheating and accuse her of cheating. In April 2021, Sloan, her sister, and her sister's boyfriend, who had all been helping Mokami run a youth program at Bigelow Laboratory for Ocean Sciences in Booth Bay, were sitting at a table in a kitchen where children in the program were taking part in a cooking contest. Lester was there and he was fuming, Sloan said, and accused Sloan's sister's boyfriend of messing around with Nicole. (sighs) Lester started smacking dishes, glasses, and utensils off the table before flipping the table over in a rage. The kids all ran and hid in a closet. When they came out later, they were still in tears. Lester was charged with one count of assault and got a deferred disposition if he agreed to mental health counseling and no new criminal conduct or contact with Sloan's sister's boyfriend for a year. Lincoln County District Attorney Natasha Irving told The Globe, in a case like this, if we were to have a guilty plea, the court would be unlikely to impose more than a 10 to 21 day jail sentence. And when completed, the defendant would not be prohibited from contact with the victim. My prosecutor had a good faith belief that mental health treatment and no contact with the victim were the best bet for public safety. What I don't understand is Nicole was the victim, but it was Sloan's sister's boyfriend who he was prohibited contact from. So it sounds like the DA didn't even understand what was going on there. The other thing is in the Press Herald story, Maine In 2015 and 2017 passed laws that if you have domestic violence convictions, you get increasingly sentences and less tolerance from the court. Given his history, I don't understand why he wasn't given more of a sentence for that attack. The Press Herald story didn't mention this sentence. No. It said the sentences before 2011 were before those laws. And I don't know if it was implying that those convictions then wouldn't count toward those laws. Again, the story, sorry, I'm not going to apologize to the Press Herald because they need to do a better job. But I think a good story would be why then didn't this conviction in 2021 carry more of a sentence? Was it because it was not in Cumberland County, but in Lincoln County? So they weren't contacting each other? Was it because his earlier record didn't count? I assume he had been charged, but maybe not the time he broke into the place in Bowdoin, but maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Sloan, Marion Sloan, Nicole's friend, told The Globe that that was the last straw for Nicole. Sloan had been urging Nicole to leave Lester, but she wouldn't. But this time, (sighs) after his tantrum in front of the kids... She agreed to, and she broke up with him. I told Nicole, he's no good for you. You can do better, Sloan said. He was troubled, and it just didn't fit. But months later, Nicole was dating him again. (sighs) I'm sure he was very persuasive. It's so frustrating. I know. Amika Mokimi, Nicole's uncle, who lives in Lagos, Nigeria, told The Globe Nicole was open with him about what The Globe termed her turbulent relationship with Mm. Lester. But as Laura Richards says, it's not the relationship that's abusive. It's the man. And to say it's a turbulent or volatile relationship glosses over the fact the man is a domestic violence batterer. Yeah, it makes it sound like it's a two-way street when it's not. Right. In February, this past February, Nicole's uncle said, she told him that Lester used to hit her. The Mm. uncle told her, just walk away quietly. Tell him you need to end it. Nichols, the friend who was part of the meeting that asked Nicole to keep Lester away from the retreat, is transgender and said she never felt comfortable around Lester 
including him making transphobic comments around her. She left the Skudik retreat on the morning of June 18th, hours before Nicole was killed and two days before it was scheduled to end, partly because Lester and his family were there and she wasn't happy being around them. Hmm. The Globe says, now she is one of many loved ones left searching for answers. I just want to know what happened to my friend. Was there something that we could have done? Was she running for her life? Was she struggling? Was it instant? Why all this silence? Unquote. Mm. And I too say, why all this silence? Exactly. What There's happened? been nothing, nothing from law enforcement. I can find very little media outside Maine on this, except for the Boston Globe story. Some people did pick up. Most of the main media just rewrote the press release, even the ones who put bylines on it, which I hate, uh, that the state police put out. The Press Herald's the only one that went farther, and the Boston Globe. The state police news release on the warrant out for Lester says no further information will be released so as to not compromise the investigation. But that's the police. My question is, where's the outcry? Where's the other media? Where are the cable TV reports and outrage? You know, there was all this outcry and outrage, and I know she's not missing, and I know we pretty much know who did it, but about young, attractive white women getting all this attention. So where are all these people who were, and I'm not talking about people of color, I'm talking about the news media, the white traditional news media and cable media that reported on all that outrage. And as usual, it's the kind of thing where it's a passing fancy. And then I just don't understand why this story has not gotten any attention. And I'd also like to know where Raymond Lester is and where his car is. Again, the state police said, and the media has parroted, there's a nationwide search going on. Well, as I said, I bet you if you called any police department outside of Maine and asked them if they were looking for this guy in his car, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. I know. know. So if we were on a different podcast and we're into cliches, I'd say there's a lot to unpack here. But I won't say that (laughs) because I hate that phrase. But Becky, your thoughts? I don't know if you could open it, but I, I go on that next door app. Someone posted a picture of him. It might've been her friend, Marion, and said, if you've seen this guy, there was a thread about it. And people were saying the same thing. I want to say everyone that responded in the thread, there are probably about half a dozen people were women wondering where when, he is. When was this? Someone posted it probably a couple of weeks ago. Everyone in the thread that was talking about it said the same thing as this. How come we haven't heard anything? I wish I knew what happened. That area where she was killed. There's no highways. That was going to be one of my points. The Skudik Institute is a campus, but it's not a bustling campus. They were the only ones there. It's run by the National Park Service. There aren't cars going by. Yeah, there's no traffic. So obviously a hit and run is either something happens in the dark and it's a mistake or well, and we don't have to worry it's a mistake. He did he did it. He and was they charged with murders. Why isn't the press asking for details of the accident? I know the police saying they're not releasing any more information, but why isn't anyone pressing them? I know. And to why find out what happened it? and how they know it was his car? And were there surveillance cameras? Is there surveillance footage of it? If so, why did it take them a week to charge him with murder and to say it was him? When it first came out, it was so weird. They were like, this car is registered to Raymond Lester, but they didn't say Yeah, I know. Boy, you know. Although I said, I bet it's her boyfriend. Yeah, we both said that. Those two Ashleys came forward to the Press Herald to talk. The Press Herald didn't go find them. Then the Boston Globe did the further information that was much more thorough about his 
record and stuff. But why is anyone asking the DAs and stuff about the past charges against him? Why isn't anyone going into depth about that? Why isn't anyone asking the police what happened that night and how they knew about it, how she was found, who found her? Well, were there witnesses? That's what I want to know. There must have been witnesses. How else would they know what car it was? Surveillance cameras. Oh, surveillance. That's true. I don't know. That's what I said. I don't know if they have surveillance cameras, but the Skudik Institute's a modern campus that's a fairly new place. So the other thing that's frustrating, I'm not blaming the victim. I don't want to sound like that, but it just drives me insane that a woman, I don't know what it's saying about our society or anything that someone like her, who's obviously a very intelligent person, she's strong. She started this whole rise and shine. She did all this stuff and she was so aware of stuff and she stays with this asshole. Well, was I just know. last week that we talked about coercive control and you- I know read us the studies about it i know all that but at the same time you're just like it's just frustrating well they understand these guys there's a couple things they understand how to pick their victims there's probably five or six women they try it with forever or more for everyone who acquiesces they understand the nuances of keeping that specific woman yeah there they understand how to manipulate people and they also know how to scare and threaten and make women feel that it's safer to be with him than to not be with him it's not like when you break up he just blows up and then you never hear from him again lots of times they come back and they let you know they're coming back and who knows why she got back together with him one thing is that society conditions women to respond to a certain kind of attention Mm-hmm. I don't blame women for that. Blame the way society is structured and has been since since women and men first began to exist and that men have a lot of stake in keeping it that way, that women are objectified. Being attractive is better than not being attractive. If a man tells you, and I don't know what he did to, to um, charm her, but if men tell you certain things, lots of times you don't hear them from a guy who may genuinely like you and isn't trying to manipulate you. Certain things about positive things about yourself or how you look or how you make them feel. Lots of times it's the guys who are trying to manipulate you who say those things. And because you're so unused to hearing them, this guy seems like Prince Charming. with her, she's beautiful. And she did actually work as a model sometimes. So it's not like she even models, I'm sure are not genuinely told by the men in their life, how great they are. In fact, my guess is obviously it's something I would never have any experience with, but my guess is they frequently wonder if a man is with them just because they're a model and they're a good trophy. What I'm saying is these guys know how to read people and to say what needs to be said yes, to get that specific yes. woman under their spell and then once 
they have them charmed or whatever if they suck them in it gets harder and harder yeah. to get away i mean you said it you said it all last week but it's smart women it is women who are independent and smart and build their own but businesses all, they have insecurities well like we said that about just like and it's not the dirty women's... john with deborah and, right um... and it's not the women's fault they have no insecurities. it's not it's not their women from the day they're born or even before they're born are set up to behave a certain way and to respond to certain things to feel valued. Men use that to make women feel good and they use it to make women feel bad. Men who are narcissists and psychopaths and manipulative and control freaks have figured it out. None of it is her fault. No, it's you not know, fault. You know what the fault it. is? I mean, obviously the fault is his, mm. but it's a court system. It's a yeah. human services system. The fact that he was able to swing two babies around I by know. the ankle. The Press Herald story doesn't say he was charged with anything for that, but it would have been nice to know. I believe Ashley, but how is he allowed to have a record like he had? I know. And not be charged when he went on that rampage in front of a bunch of little kids. I know, and and that's scary. And that Lincoln County DA can equivocate all she wants, but to say, oh, he's only going to get this and then he won't be ordered to stay away from the victim, blah, blah, blah. Well, if his record is brought in and if the laws that apparently support and escalating sentences for people who exhibit that kind of violence it would seem to me those laws should be taken into account when i read the story and i didn't read the boston globe one i had only read the press heralds what struck me is the short sentences that he got for what he did and it makes me wonder like what the fuck is wrong with us where we have these shitty sentences for violent crimes against babies and women we obviously don't value there are people in people in jail languishing in jail mostly people of color for having for having a little tiny piece of of drug in their pocket or something but if you beat up your your wife or kids especially like strangulation and things that are big red flags yeah the irony of them raiding the apartment for drugs when here he is regularly beating up women and nobody gives a shit I know. Um, and we will put a photo of him and his car on our Instagram so people can see what it looks like just in case he comes rolling down your street or something. He's a nice looking guy. I mean, he's a, he's and a, it's he's, a nice looking car. If you saw him walking down the street or something, you probably would think, oh, what, you know, nice looking guy, right. nice car. I mean, and, that's how he gets away with it. Right. And since lack of information provides a vacuum. I can't help but speculate what might have happened that night, but he must have been really pissed off to run over her. There must have been some reason they were outside in the wee hours when nobody else was out there. And I'm wondering, this was her big time to shine. She organized this thing. He may have done something to bother her. She may have decided she had enough, whatever it was. I'm sure he was told not to be there. Well, he was there with his family. He may have been welcomed there. I don't know. That's why Truth left, because he was there with his family and she was uncomfortable with them being there. So it doesn't sound like he showed up and everybody's like, oh, what's he doing there? It sounds like it was okay for him to be there. But what I'm wondering is if at some point while he was there, Nicole got fed up with him about something or it sounds like he would fly off the handle. He didn't care right. who was there. Or what. But, but for some yeah. reason... 
they were outside. She was outside when she normally would have been in bed and nobody else was around and he ran her over with his car. So there was something going on out there. And I hope that someday we will find out what it is. And I Mm. hope that they will find him. I hope he hasn't done what a lot of these control freaks do and killed himself. Not because I care about his life so much is that I think he deserves to be shown to the world for who he is to go on trial to Mm -hmm. be outed as the, as the serial longtime chronic domestic abuser he is. And also for a trial like that, to put the um, law enforcement and quote unquote justice system here in Maine on trial for why he is allowed to get away with it. And I know this sounds flippant, but mostly when we talk about black men and the justice system, they're being unfairly treated. They're Mm -hmm. being arrested for things they didn't do. They're being charged with things they didn't do. But here's a guy in a very white state, I guess, sexism, Trump's racism was allowed to get away for decades, practically killing women and children and doesn't get a sentence that's longer than a month and a half for it. And it's insane. It absolutely fucking boggles me. It pisses me off so much. And that's one reason I want him to be around to go on trial, because I don't have any faith that the main journalism community is going to get off their complacent asses and do more on this, their complacent white male asses, and do more on this unless they have to because of a trial or something. If he's in Georgia or something and is off himself in some swamp and they eventually find him or find his car, it'll be one story and done. Yeah. Her loss of life. It's a really big loss for the state for what she was doing. Yes. I feel bad for all her friends who were, I'm sure it's hard on them. But I also feel bad for all the kids and people who she helped, who there was nowhere for them to go and nothing Mm -hmm. for them to do in the state of Maine because of who they are. And she was providing a much needed resource, a warm, welcoming, positive thing for people and she was a loving caring person it's frustrating it keeps happening over and over and over again and that people still don't seem to get it and it's frustrating that law enforcement if law enforcement would release more information it would get more attention and this kind of thing would get more attention they're being so close mouth about it i know they don't want to compromise their case but there's obviously more they could say and i also feel like the state attorney general should use should use incidents like this to speak out about domestic violence and domestic violence murder we rarely hear from him aaron fry we rarely hear his name there are ways to start turning around if not men doing this at least public perception and turning around public perception is what helps get new laws. I would love for some of the fine journalists of Maine to do a story on how those laws passed in 2015 and 2019 didn't affect his sentence yeah, in well, 2021. Something. It's one thing to just mention them in this non sequitur fashion in an article like the press herald reporter did it would be another thing to actually give it some context and and have have had his recent charges in that story and to say why those laws didn't why why does the boston globe 
two states away have to call the friggin lincoln county da to find out why he got charged the way he did i get so tired of these things where a woman gets killed and it's almost like it's inevitable that it was going to end that way because when you look back on the relationship all these things were happening and that's the right. way it's going to end up. And it happens so often. Right. I know she has friends who are very concerned, but I think in a lot of cases, people want to dismiss it and say, yeah, he's volatile and blah, blah, blah. They never but think he's not going to kill gonna, yeah. someone. And the women, I think part of them thinks someday this guy's going to kill me. And, but the, there's the other part of them that's just scared shitless because they know if he is going to kill her, it's going to be when you, they break up with him, as we saw yep. with episode 126 mm-hmm. and yep. poor Brittany Barron and poor Jonathan Amaro. You talked about her and people saying, why didn't she kill him when she had the chance? Of, but when you look at this story, Ashley, number one, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be flippant when I call them that, but it's easier than yeah. saying their full names. She had a hammer to defend himself and people would say, oh, why didn't she just hit him with a hammer? Well, he's a big, strong guy and he got the hammer away from her and then used it on her and almost yeah, killed her. It, you know, it's fight, flight, or freeze. If the guy has you terrorized, freeze either in the moment or in your life yeah. because you're afraid if I do something right now, it's okay because I'm alive and he's mm-hmm. not killing me and he's nice to me 60% of the time. If mm-hmm. I do something, that's going to change and he's going to kill me. And what are the odds since he's been doing this for 20 years that he's going to yeah. get put away if he doesn't kill me? What are the odds that he's not going to come back and hurt me worse because I pressed charges or I did this or I did that because he's only getting five days here and 10 days. And when he gets there. out, he's going to be even more pissed. Right. That's the problem. He's not going away for the rest of his life. But I I do want to say to our listeners, if you are in a situation like that, call a domestic violence hotline. If a man is accusing you of cheating all the time when you're not, if he's isolated you from your friends and family, if he puts his hands around your neck, those are all things that are signs that he isn't the awesome guy that you would like to think he is. And if he's not awesome, even 10% of the time is a violent prick, then he's not, he's a violent prick. Because it doesn't matter how often it happens. If it happens, then he's an asshole. And if a guy tells you you're pretty, get a second opinion before thinking (laughs) he's the love of your life. It's easy for somebody to tell you what you want to hear. It's easy for somebody to send you flowers, but the day in, day out behavior of support and respect count for a lot more don't just listen to some blowhard telling you how great you are i know you are great but if he really thinks you're great and he's not going to hit you rape you strangle you hurt your kids yell at you accuse you of cheating with everybody in the world when you're not the one cheating although he probably is oh he probably is and everything else and we're kind of going on and on here but yes so thanks listeners and we'll be back with yes another episode thank you thanks for listening bye-bye